we pray. Y'all just agree with me. I really believe for something tonight, this word, I feel it's going to be really powerful, help a lot of people. So, Lord, we pray over this word tonight. Everybody agrees with me. The Bible says if two will agree on earth is touching anything, you'll do it. So, Lord, we come into agreement and ask you to release this word out. Come speak through me everything that needs to be spoken. And let it go out into every place it's supposed to and hit every area that's supposed to in every life. And let the wind of your spirit carry it out everywhere it's supposed to be and let your angels watch over it. We believe, Lord, for it to go forth as light, dispelling any type of darkness, living seeds of truth coming into people's lives. We thank you for it. We believe now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm continuing the Spine of Prophecy series I've been doing, talking about the end times, part eight. <clears throat> I'm going to go with this until I get done, okay? So this may be a while. But there's a lot to cover in, in a lot of ways. And next week, I really feel like I'm supposed to deal, we'll see with the Lord if he changes it, but to deal with um, spiritual warfare in the last days. So I'll deal with the, you remember in the book of Revelation, it talks about the beast with seven heads and ten horns, kind of taken from that angle about some different things that we're going to face in these last days. But anyway, we'll deal with that next week. And then we have Passover. So tonight, I'm going to deal with a deep consecration, the bride making herself ready. So let's go ahead and dive into it. Revelation 19, 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. How many are looking for that day? Man, the wedding of the bridegroom and the bride, the marriage supper, looking for that day. But the bride, it's interesting because the bride has made herself ready. Now we all know that in Christianity, we truly cannot change ourselves. How many figured that out? Okay, yeah. Usually that's figured out pretty quick. We can't actually change ourselves. Only the Holy Spirit can change us, the power of God. But there is an element that we do play in this that the bride has got to surrender everything to the Lord and there are things that we do we repent of our sin you know we're faithful to the Lord we seek the Lord in prayer there's things that we do to consecrate our lives so that's kind of where I'm coming from today and I feel honestly if y'all can hear me especially at the beginning here really give me your best ear but I feel like that there's not a lot of places not enough places preaching this type of message of repentance and deep consecration in fact, I really believe that a lot of the opposite is being preached in a lot of places. Which leads me to this first point. The word in Hebrew, devar, it's the root word where we get Deborah from in the Bible. Now this is really interesting if you can follow me. It's a little deep, but I believe that I'll be able to, by the grace of God, present this where you'll understand where I'm coming from. But it's, you can see to the left of the English there, you can see the three, the three Hebrew letters that make up this word from right to left. It's the delet, and that's the fourth letter in the alphabet. And this is interesting because they have pictures. There's pictures that are associated with these letters. So the first picture with delet is like the tent door. So just picture you know, back in those days that there would be this tent and there would be the front part, the door. That's what they were trying to draw with this. The next is the vet. It's where we get V from. And it's the second letter. And it is like a tent 
on a plane, you have just the flat and then you have like a tent there. Um, it looks, sometimes they draw it like this, it looks almost like, I always think of Bethlehem, so to speak, with the, um, how they were kind of sojourning. And anyway, I don't want to get into that too deep, but it's a, it's a tent out on a plane, okay? And then the last letter is the resh, and it is the R, and its symbol is a man's head. Here's the thing. Jesus is supposed to be the head of the church, okay? So when you think about the door, you think about entering into the Lord's gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. You think about the the tabernacle and how it had this gate to come in. At least that's why I'm going in my thoughts right now. And you think about the tent on the plain. You, you think about, the, I think about the tabernacle, the, the, the Lord's church, you know. And here's, here's the problem, the third letter. Man wants to be the head instead of Jesus being the head. Are you following me? That's the problem. So in other words, what we as ministers should be doing is just saying, Lord, whatever you want me to preach, I'll preach. Whether people like it or not doesn't make any difference. You see what I'm saying? That's letting Jesus be the head. But if you preach that way, there's going to be some people that like you, some people that don't. But what a lot of people are doing is, is they're saying, I'm not going to ask the Lord about anything. I'm just going to decide what I think everybody wants to hear and what will get people in the seats. But anyway, this makes up the word devar, and devar is the equivalent in the New Testament of rhema. And many of you guys that's been with me for very long know exactly what I'm talking about. There's basically two main words in Greek that make up word, the, you know, W-O-R-D. Logos is what that word is, what God already said in the past, and it's written down in the Bible. That's the Logos word of God. But the rhema word of God is what is God speaking right now. You see what I'm saying? Because we can go back and do just Bible stories. But how many knows that I want to hear from the Lord now? I want to know in March of 2015, what is the Lord speaking to me? What is the Lord speaking to River of Life? And bigger than that, what is God up to in the earth? I don't want to just sit around talking about Bible stories. What is the word of the Lord right now? And so this word devar is a Hebrew word that is, it's like rhema. It's what is, it's the speaking word of God. It's the current word. That's what it represents. What is God saying right now? Now, here's the interesting thing about this word. It can also be translated as bee, like a honeybee. Now, there's a prophecy, and this is where it starts getting into end time events right here. There's a prophecy in the Bible that there would come a day when there would be a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. Not that there would be a famine of the word being preached, but there would be a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. And you can take that scripture and you can bring it into the New Testament and you can see that the Apostle Paul prophesied that there would come a time when people would not endure sound doctrine, but they would gather unto themselves teachers that would simply tell them what their itching ears want to hear. So you've got an Old and a New Testament reference to a time 
<clears throat> when there would be many teachers, but there would be a famine of the actual word of the Lord. And I believe that in these last days, we are going to see that exact thing right there. There's a lot of things. I mean, you can flip on all kinds of radio stations, internet. You can go all over the internet. You can, there's a lot of churches. There's a lot of things on TV. But there's not a lot of the word of the Lord. What is the Lord actually really truly saying? And when you look at the Old Testament examples as well, you see <clears throat> that there is, throughout Israel's history, there would be a lot of prophets saying a lot of things, but there would be one or two that were actually true prophets of God that had the word of the Lord. Amen? And I don't know about you, but I really want to hear the word of the Lord, especially in the day that we're living. I want to be told the truth. In the apostle Paul he gathered with his leaders and he told them that he had not failed to preach to them the whole counsel of God. And those of you that feel a call into any type of preaching, teaching, ministry of any kind, you better hear me well. The Bible says in the book of James that we will be judged more strictly. How you handle God's word is serious. And Paul said, and I wonder how many people can join him in saying this nowadays, I have not failed in preaching you the whole counsel of God. I didn't just pick and choose what I thought would make you happy or feel good. I told you the whole truth. Now here's something interesting in our day and time, and you can look this up for yourself. This isn't made the mainstream news yet, probably will eventually. But there's a parallel here. You're seeing in the natural, you're actually seeing a diminishing of honeybees and they don't know why. Isn't this weird? Once I say the whole thing, it'll probably make more sense because it might have something to do with end times. But there's actually, the honeybee count is going down and scientists are trying to figure out why. And they felt that maybe there's a virus or something that's killing them off. But herein lies the problem. Honeybees have a lot to do with our crops. And our crops, you know, have a lot to do with society being fed. Amen. It's common sense. So you're seeing a parallel here of this word devar, which can be translated word, but it can also be translated be. You're seeing that there's a famine that's coming of hearing the actual word of the Lord and possibly what the Bible talked about a famine in these last days. Now, don't you remember I talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse and I talked about that one that had to do with famine. Remember that? Now, here's something interesting. When you look through the scriptures, it says that barley and wheat would be sold for an ex exorbitant amount of money. But this really makes sense with this if you think about it. Could there come a time in the earth, now I'm, I'm hoping that the rapture happens before all this, but you never know for sure, but that there's such a famine going on that wheat and barley and all that, the price of it would skyrocket. But then it also says after that, it says, but don't hurt the oil and the wine. 
Now, isn't it also, also interesting that bees, you don't have to have bees to have olive trees pollinated and to have vineyards pollinated because the wind will do it. Are y'all following me? I'm just giving you food for thought. But there's certain things that people that know about end time prophecy, because there's a lot of ignorance out there, unfortunately. But those that know about it can pick up on these little nuances and see, wait a second, there's something significant to this. So I believe that we're living in a time where you would have to get in your car and drive pretty good distance to hear the actual word of the Lord, the real word of the Lord. Not man's opinion, not what somebody thinks will make you feel good, not the story of the day, not something out of a little journal, but an actual, I heard from God, and this is what the Lord says to you today. Whether you love it or hate it, this is the word of the Lord. That type of message. You would have to get in your car in America and drive some geography um, before you could find too many places like that. I'm not saying that they're not out there, but I'm saying that it's not common. In fact, I was hearing one preacher say that he, he's had an opportunity because he wrote a book and it opened some doors for him to preach a lot of places. And he said he's been to places that told him right up front, we don't want you to say anything that's going to offend anybody. Right up front, just told him. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? He said, we, we want everybody to leave here happy and we want all your message to be positive. And they told him that up front. And this is what you're dealing with. So ministers are going to have to make up their mind, are they going to be like Balaam and kind of be a prophet for hire? Or are they going to be somebody that's going to say, look, I'm going to speak what God tells me to speak. I'm not going to be manipulating control like that. All right. So we're seeing that. We're seeing this diminishing of the honeybees. It's really weird. And you have to wonder if there's not something to that down the road. But God is calling us, and this is where I'm coming from tonight, is just preaching the whole counsel of God. The Lord is calling us to be a bride that has made herself ready. So what I'm going to cover briefly here is, what exactly does it mean, a bride making herself ready? What does it mean without spot or blemish? Because we can say those things, and you kind of get a general idea, but if you really go back and study this out and let the Word interpret the Word, and do a deep study, it's very interesting. And I believe tonight we're going to cover some of that. So the first thing that I would say is the Lord is coming for a bride without spot or blemish, but as we can see with the parable of Matthew 25 with the wise and foolish virgins, there were ten virgins, but only five were ready when he came. So you, you can see that Jesus was insinuating there that there's a possibility, a very strong possibility, that there's going to be uh, you know, just according to that passage, maybe half the people that aren't going to be ready. That's concerning. I want to be a part of the, the five that were ready, the wise virgins. So when you study the scriptures, the first thing that I would say is this, the washing of the water of the word. Remember how Jesus washed the disciples' feet? Remember how the priest of the Old Testament had to wash their hands and feet before they went in to minister unto the Lord at the labor? There's a washing of the water of the word. And what happens is this. When a pastor will get up to a church and will preach like I'm going to preach tonight, um, the same, let me say this up front, the same light of truth that will melt wax will harden clay. 
So you're always going to have some people that are really humble and repentant and really take it to heart. And then you have others that just, they get more hard and don't want to hear it. But what will happen though is those that are receptive to the word of the Lord, it, the word of God has a washing effect in our lives. And what we've got to remember is that number one, that we focus on the heart change first. That's very important in revival. Because if we're believing God, here we are praying and believing for a harvest of souls. We're going to have an influx of a bunch of heathen. Let's just say it like it is. And that's what I want. But a bunch of heathen coming in, they don't know nothing about God. So you can't get upset with them when they're, they're slipping up here and there. Let Pray and, and help them along, but believe God for their heart. to be. Because once God gives them a new heart, they want to please him. And they want to do right. And then you can just help them, see. So this is what Jesus dealt with, though, with a religious spirit amongst some of the Pharisees. And he told them, he said, you Pharisees really are just whitewashed tombs. You look good externally, but on the inside, your heart is like he described it as dead man's bones in a tomb. So that's not a good description of a heart from Jesus, amen. So Jesus is saying, you look really good outwardly, but your heart is wicked before me. And so, number one, we need to have a heart change. So let me ask you, and let this deal with all of us, is your heart really set on the things of God? Do you really love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, like the Bible says? Is your heart set on him, or is your heart set on a bunch of other stuff? Are there things in you that you know aren't right, but here's the thing. Ask the Lord, give me a new heart, change my heart to be set on you. So here's the three words right here. Holy, righteous, and pure. Holy unto God means to be set apart unto God. Let me use a crude example. If, you know, Brother Zach, for example, had some family heirloom that went down his family and they passed it down to him, you know, it could be a set of dishes that aren't real attractive, you know. But to him, because it's something that was set apart in his family, there's nostalgia, you know, it's something that's special to him. It's kind of set apart to him. But if he gave them to somebody else, they'd be like thinking, well, these are an unattractive set of dishes. It doesn't mean anything. All right, so what holy is, just using that as, as maybe not the best example, but holy is when something is set apart to God. Does that make sense? It's something that, I'll give you another example. You know, when I went to buy for our church, we bought this keyboard. This is just a rolling keyboard from what was it, a guitar center or something. That place sells these keyboards to everybody. So this same type of keyboard is sitting in clubs and bars and everywhere else, okay? But when we bought it and we brought it in here, you know, we, we set it apart as holy unto God for his service, for his purposes. So what you've got to understand is, is that the Lord, the first thing about the bride is the bride has got to be set apart as holy. See, whenever the bride, remember I went through this whole thing about, you know, a bride agreeing to the marriage ceremony and remember that and drinking the cup of betrothal, went through all the thing, but she would put a veil over her face and she was set apart now. She was spoken for. The Lord is looking for us to do that, to set our lives apart as holy unto him. And that's what we're doing when we take communion. The Lord, as we take Holy Communion, you're setting yourself apart 
spirit, soul, and body, every part of your life, you're setting yourself apart as holy unto him. Now, once you set something apart as holy unto God, God's a jealous God. So that means nothing really is going to be the same from that point. If somebody is set apart as holy and then they start going back into some old garbage, the Lord's a jealous God. So it's not going to go well for them. Does that make sense? So we've got to set ourselves apart as holy, but we've got to sustain that. So I believe as we're, as we're going through this time of prayer and fasting and deeply consecrating ourselves unto God and people are taking the Lord's Supper on your own and just kind of bringing communion into every area of your life, you're, what you're doing is, is you're setting every part of your life as separate and holy unto God, number one. Number two is the word righteousness. Righteousness has to do with righteous living or obedience to the Lord's word. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So this has to do, I kind of connect this with the, what I talked about earlier, the washing of the water of the word and out of obedience, being water baptized unto God, there's a, there's a righteous life involved in this. And righteous obedience is basically this. You look into the word of God, and then where the word of God is convicting you, then you're saying, Lord, help me, wash me, and change me. And there's a cleansing. The word of God has a cleansing effect. And you line up your life in obedience to the word of God. Okay, So that's the, the righteousness it is an obedience and a washing of the water of the word that we're faithful to obey him. So number one, we set ourselves apart as holy. But number two, we say, Jesus, I love you so much that I want to obey your word and follow you and do what you want me to do. Number three is purity. And we've got to be careful what we allow into our lives. I believe that this has to do with the anointing. The setting apart has to do with the blood. When you put the blood somewhere, it's like a no trespassing sign to the devil because what you're saying is, is this, this person, this geography, whatever it is, this place is under the blood. It's under the jurisdiction and the dominion of Jesus Christ and it's off limits to the devil. It's set apart as holy, you understand? And then the second thing is the righteous part is, is that it lines up with the word of God that I'm going to study the word and make sure things are the way it's supposed to be. But the third part is, is let me read James 1.27 about purity. It says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Remember this, Lot, even though he was a righteous man and he was with Abraham for a long time, he pitched his tent facing Sodom. And next thing you know, he's inside Sodom. And then next news you know, he lost his family to sexual perversions. Let me say that again. Lot, I guess, thought he could handle it, but he pitched his tent looking at Sodom. Then over time, he's inside Sodom. Then he ended up losing his family to sexual perversions. So here's the thing. When we set ourselves apart as holy unto God and we begin to righteously obey his word and live the life, and God, many of you guys feel that God is wanting to use you. The third thing in this is being anointed. You know, we can have a physical anointing with oil where we go through and we take and we rub oil on you and we pray for you, okay? 
we're anointing you. We're setting you apart to be used of God. That's, that's the anointing. The anointing is set apart to be used for service. But even though there's a physical anointing with oil, there's a spiritual clothing of power. There's a, the Holy Spirit anointing you to use you and power. But when the Holy Spirit anoints you to use you, he's going to start dealing with you about being pure. Amen? So that means you're not going to be able to do some of the things other people do. And God's going to give you convictions that other people may not have. It doesn't make you better than them, but the Holy Spirit is saying, you better listen to me because I know what's best for you. Now, let me give you an example of maybe an area of, of having different convictions. There was a pastor I really love and respect, an awesome man of God. And he was saying when he was very young in the Lord that maybe about 20 years old, he was on a date, he was at a movie theater. He said he wasn't watching a bad movie or anything, but the Holy Spirit convicted him so bad, he was squirming, he couldn't stand it. He went out there and he told the Lord, the Lord dealt with him and he told the Lord, I won't go back to the theater. Now, he asked the Lord, this was when he was 20, he asked the Lord like 30 years later, he'd never been back. He had been, how many knows you need to be faithful to your convictions? Okay? And he had asked the Lord, why did you tell me that? What was the point? And the Lord, the Holy Spirit told him, said, because I know what you personally can handle and what would have affected you. Now, see, I, I personally, if it's a clean movie, in my opinion, not other people's, I don't have a qualm with going to the movies as long as it's clean. We have different convictions, amen? But the Holy Spirit will not allow me to have things in my life, and I know what they are. And all of us have different convictions. You can ask my wife. She knows. Because the Holy Spirit, once the Lord anoints you and sets you apart to be used, you've got to be pure before him. So based on what's in your family, what your past sin was, your personality, the Holy Spirit may tell you, you don't need to do that. And you better listen to him. Now let me say this. I've known people personally, and I could name names, and they're on my heart right now, and it deeply grieves me. That at one time, back when revival was raging in the 90s and, you know, 2000 to 2003 or 4, whatever, revival was really strong. There were people that I knew back then that had really godly convictions that are not living them now. And let me tell you, they're not doing good at all now. Once God anoints you and touches you like that and he gives you godly convictions, you better stick with those. They're not doing good. And when I say they're not doing good, they're not doing good at all. Some of them are dealing with some health battles and, and mental and emotional issues and family issues and, and, and spiritually they're just not doing good. And they're not doing good because they haven't kept those convictions. So when the Lord sets you apart, he's going to anoint you, but he's expecting that the convictions that he gives you, that you're going to be faithful to those convictions. Now there can be varying convictions and don't ever feel in pride that if you have a conviction and somebody else don't, that you're better. That's arrogance because that the Lord just simply knows what you can handle and can't, et cetera. Does this make sense? Because there's different convictions my wife and I have a little bit, little, little nuances where she feels a little different to me about things. But the Lord knows what's good for her, and the Lord knows what's good for me. And we honor and respect that in each other. All right. So let's keep ourselves pure. And let me say this too before I get off this. You know, we talk about being balanced and I really do pray a lot about this. I really respect this 
this mentality about keeping things balanced, you know. But here's the, here's the one problem with balancing things. The devil loves to move the middle. Let me give you some examples, and I'll, I'll try to do different types of examples. But the first one would be this. About 1940 was the very first time that there was a cuss word in a movie. And the world went berserk. They were outraged that he would say, frankly, Scarlet, I don't remember that. Yeah, I, I can't believe he said that. Now, let me show you where the center has been moved. Okay, hold on. The world, everybody say the world. The world was outraged. The sinners were outraged. Now, the church, so-called Christians, will feel totally, completely comfortable with all kinds of garbage in their home. With their children there, that filth is being spewed into their home. No qualms about it whatsoever. The devil has moved the middle. Let me give you another example. Elvis Presley, <laughs> so-called king of rock, whatever. Back in the day, and uh, whenever it was, the 50s, when he was so big. But remember, he would, they would video him from the waist up because the way he would move his hips and things, they felt it was somewhat sexual, which it really was. And the world, everybody say the world. The world was outraged at that. Now, you've got professing Christians that'll sit there and watch uh, these pop stars take most of their clothes off and dance seductively and have no qualms with it. And they watch it with their families and their kids and everything. Is anybody else seeing this? Somebody took the middle and moved it. So we need to ask the Lord, Lord, where do you set the center of balance? Because you're not going to get a center of balance from a lot of Christians. Because they're like, oh, well, you know. And you know what the great deception is right now? I believe that Satan has told people that living holy and pure like that is religious. That's the great deception. I believe with all my heart that that right there came from what Paul prophesied, a doctrine of demons and seducing spirits. I believe that, that the devil brought that teaching to the body of Christ. That has led more people into all kinds of garbage right there well, you're just being religious. Okay. But it also goes in other areas. Let me give one more, but this isn't so much with the world. When Jesus was on the earth, his ministry was full of power. Everywhere this man went, there were demons that were fleeing. Y'all hearing me? Healings and miracles. I mean, just the power of God. And his disciples were personally trained by him. So they followed him for three and a half years or so. They followed this man and watched all that he did. And he, he would send them out sometimes also to pray. And they learned from him. And when he left, this was his church plant. These were his leaders he personally trained that were in Jerusalem. When the Holy Spirit fell on the church, People like Peter and others were raised up as like pastoral figures and elders, and they oversaw this church plant in Jerusalem that Jesus himself created. And this church plant, if you read the book of Acts, was full 
of all kinds of healings. I mean, Peter would walk the streets and his shadow would pass over people and they'd be healed. Healings and miracles, deliverances of demons, the power of God, people speaking in tongues, the gifts at work. They saw angels. I mean, they prayed and an angel went and got Peter out of prison. And what I'm saying is, that was the center that Jesus set. Somebody moved the middle. Because now, in most churches, there's none of that going on whatsoever. And when it starts to happen, there's a group of people that read the Bible. And they think, well, wait a second. We're supposed to be seeing more than what we're seeing. And so they begin to cry out to God. They're desperate. They begin to pray. And some spiritual rain begins to fall. And, and, and people are getting hit by the power of God. And speaking in tongues. And healings start happening. And deliverances. And, and all the things you read about in the book of Acts. And what happens? All the other people start saying, that is the devil. <laughs> I mean, how deceived can you be? But they do. And, and it's somebody, the devil came in there and moved the, the middle way over here to dead religion and said, that's normal. All right, so a deep consecration to God. I'm going to move quickly now. First John 5, 5. Who is the one that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ. Now, this is a really interesting, if you can try to understand this right, this is a really interesting scripture. Who came by water and blood. How did Jesus come into the world? Through Mary, water and blood, okay? And when Jesus died, what came out of his side? Water and blood. But Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with water and with the blood. And he adds, it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. How many knows the Holy Spirit is the truth? He will tell you the truth. He'll lead you in all truth. Verse 7, for there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. So you could read that as the Holy Spirit, the water of the Word, and the blood of Christ. And these are the three ways that God primarily sanctifies his people. He, he deeply sets them apart by the blood, he washes them with the water of the word and they become righteous in their living. And then the Holy Spirit will anoint them and help them to live pure. He'll give them godly convictions and he'll change them. Is this making sense? And in Exodus 29, whenever Moses, this pattern is Old and New Testament. Moses was commanded to set apart Aaron and his sons as priests. And what did he do? He killed the bull. He applied the blood to him. He had to water baptize them. They called it a, a mikveh. They had to be immersed in water. He washed them with water. Then he anointed them with oil. It set them apart for service. So I'm trying to show you guys that there is a place, and I feel in my heart that, that there's... How do I word this? A lot of people are going in a different direction. A lot of people are going more and more worldly, and they call it being relevant, you know, and they're trying to win the world by becoming more and more worldly. But I find myself on a different path. 
I want to be in his manifest presence. I want to know him. I want to know what his word says. I want my life to line up with the word. I don't want to see how worldly I can get. I want to see how, how close to Jesus I can get. Amen. All right, so here's the thing. Bearing ourselves with Christ, the Bible says in Galatians 2.20 that there is a place of being crucified with Christ. That it's no longer us who live, but Christ living his life through us. And Jesus taught us to take up our cross. So in a practical sense, what does it actually mean to be crucified with Christ? What does it mean to take up your cross? These are things that we just say, and they sound good. They sound so spiritual, and people hear them, but they really don't know what it means. So in a practical sense, here's what it means. We surrender our will to him. That's practically, we say, not what I want any longer, what you want. That's what Jesus was trying to show us in the Garden of Gethsemane when he began to sweat blood and he said, Father, not my will, your will be done. He was trying to show us a death process we must go through. There is a place of complete death to self that all of us that are true Christians have got to come to. And if you don't come to that place, you're going to struggle spiritually, and some people may even fall away one day because it is important to understand that you're not going to come into true Christianity without there being a death of Mr. Me. And the second thing is, is not only do we surrender our will to him, but number two is everything else in our lives is totally surrendered that Whatever he wants to take out, he'll take out. Whatever he wants to put in, he'll put in. But it is a total surrender. That's what William Booth was talking about in that song. See us on your altar we lay. We give our lives to you today. If anybody knew about a life of death to self, William Booth did. Amen. He laid it down, and he went against a lot to live the way that he did. All right, and here's without spot or blemish. So what does it mean biblically? If you're, we're going to take the Bible to interpret the Bible, what does it mean a bride without spot or blemish? What you got to understand is that the bride and the priest are really one and the same. The wedding garments and the priestly garments are one and the same. Does this make sense? So when you're talking about a, a bride being made ready, you're talking about a priest being made ready. Let that really sink in. The wedding garments are the priestly garments. We've studied about the priestly garments. You guys know about this. The bride is called to be a priest. Somebody that ministers to God. So what does this say? Look at this in, Reve in Leviticus 21.16. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron saying, no man of your offspring throughout your generations who has a defect shall approach and offer food of his God for no one who has a defect shall approach. Now this is interesting. If anybody in the priesthood had some kind of disfiguring thing, which I'll read through it here in a moment, they couldn't go into God's presence to minister to him. Now some of this was the mercy of God. Would you want a blind man messing with fire? Okay, some of this was God just trying to protect them in the first place. And so uh, let's just read through this. But this is extremely important for us today. And what I want you to do, River of Life, I want you to take this home and I want you to 
fold this up tonight, take it with you. And while you're on this time of prayer and fasting and deeply consecrating yourself to God and, and focus on him, I want you to take this into your prayer closet and pray about all these things that I talked about tonight, okay? But let's go through it. What does this mean for us today as Christians? Number one, I'm just going to list them off a blind man. A blind man now, in, in spiritual terms, would represent somebody that lacks revelation. You know who lacks revelation? People that don't pray. Hello? How many times do we hear Jesus warn us, watch and pray, because you don't know the hour? So the prayer life has everything to do with our spiritual strength, and it has to do with our lack of, or having revelation or the lack thereof. So the blind man has to do with if somebody's a person of prayer or they're not. A people of prayer have vision. People that don't pray, they just don't. All right, the next one is a lame man. These are those that have not gotten free from the power of sin yet. You know, when you come to Jesus Christ and you accept him and you're sincere, he'll pardon your sin. You're forgiven but there can still be the power of that sin over somebody's life, an addiction, a bondage to something, whatever it is. And that needs to be broken. And until it's broken, they're going to be limping along in their Christian walk. So this has to do with the whole inner healing and deliverance ministry where you help people get beyond their stuff, where you help them shed off that giant backpack, so to speak, that they're carrying around of bondage to the devil. The next one is one that has a disfigured face, this has to do with ref reflecting Christ. How many people, for example, like a temper, they'll blow up and go off and maybe start cussing or something and get all mad and been out of shape? We're called to reflect Christ. So we've got to get things in our lives that are not reflecting Christ dealt with before we can minister to others, okay? So here's how it works as a priest. First, the priest learns how to minister to God, and then he can learn how to minister to people. Amen? Let me say that again. First, well, really first, you're going to, have to deal with this stuff. But then you're going to learn how to minister to God, and then learn how to minister to people in that order. So the Lord, as you begin to learn how to minister to him, he's going to start dealing with these things right here. And he's going to help you overcome them because he loves you. The next one is a deformed limb. This is uneven. You know, when somebody has a deformed limb, most of the time you're dealing with one shorter than the other, whatever, where it's off, uneven balances. You know what this has to do with? This has to do with things like prejudice or um, where we don't have righteous judgment in our lives. For example, there are places that you could have two people come in the same age. One of them has a lot of money and one of them don't, and they'll show favoritism to the guy with money. That's uneven balances. How many people would, would maybe they don't like a particular group of people so they won't minister to them? You've got to get beyond these prejudices and these, this unrighteous judgment business and, and all this stuff where you show favoritism or a lack thereof and it's uneven balances. You've got to get beyond that. The next one is a broken foot or a broken hand and this has to do with service like your walk in ministry where you've been wounded if you're going to be in ministry you're going to, have to deal with wounds that comes with the territory when you're in ministry and you've been wounded you've got to let the lord heal you 
See, if a priest had gone in there to do something, he had a broke hand and it was bandaged, he would drop whatever he was doing. It, it would, he, he wouldn't be able to do the services he needed to do. So he needed to get healed up first, and then he could do what he needed to do for the Lord. So when you get wounded, let the Lord heal you as far as like your, your service to him. And I'm talking about there um, wounded in the ministry specifically, okay, because I'm going to deal with scabs here in a minute. The next one was a hunchback. This is somebody that's been burdened down with the cares of the world. Remember that? Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But there's people that have allowed the cares of the world. The Bible says the cares of the world will spring up and they'll choke out the seed that Christ has sown. So you've got to deal with the areas where we've allowed the, the cares of the world to creep in too much and too caught up with the things of the world. It doesn't need to be all about making money. Amen. The Lord's got to come first. How many people live their life where it's primarily about just making money? That's really their God. And you never see them with doing anything for the Lord. All right, or a dwarf. This is somebody that's obviously shorter than they should be naturally. You know what this is? Spiritual babies. People, and I've seen them my whole life. They've been saved for 40 years, but they're like a big baby spiritually why somebody somebody said in my pew pastor and it's big babies big babies they don't know how to pray for themselves they don't know i remember this one guy this pastor was saying that people would call him about silly stuff and wanted him to pray for him and he told him he said no and what <laughs> he said no you pray and i'll agree with you he was trying to teach him look quit depending on me for little stuff like that you need to know how to pray for yourself grow up he was trying to tell him so some people, they're, they're spiritual babies. They don't know how to pray. They don't know how to do anything for the Lord, really. They're just, they're totally dependent on somebody else. We've got to get beyond that. And the next one is a defect in the eye. You know what that is? False discernment. A critical eye. Jesus said to get the two before out of your eye before you go around picking the speck out of others. So think about it. That, that is very prevalent, isn't it? like a false discernment a criticism we've got to deal with this stuff the next one was scurvy you know how somebody gets scurvy is malnutrition malnutrition this is where we need the whole counsel of god and not somebody just getting up week after week after week and giving you twinkies amen if all you're ever doing is eating Twinkies and things like that don't be surprised when you get sick and I mean seriously sick because your body doesn't have the nutrition that it needs same thing spiritually if you're not getting fed the whole word of God somebody's just giving you sweets all the time to make you feel good and pacify you then don't be surprised when you get really sick spiritually the next one is scabs this has to do with unhealed wounds in life okay scabs is more of the area of maybe where you know somebody was wounded in their past we just heard this preacher last night saying that he was really abused as a child like really beaten like for five years just really beaten and abused and he said it really caught up with him later on in life he, he it really affected him he had to deal with those things there's scabs unhealed wounds in people from, from things of their past they need to get healed. And the next one was, it said uh, crushed tes testicles, which has to do with the inability to reproduce. Now, there was only men that could be in the priesthood, so if this had to do with women, it would be that the woman didn't have the ability to get pregnant. So what does that mean for us today spiritually? 
What it means is this. There are so many out there that have the inability to reproduce after themselves, number one, because they don't know how to witness, and they don't ever witness. So we need to learn how to win souls and reproduce for the kingdom of God and see some babies born for Jesus, all right? And the next one is not only that about the babies being born, but also what God has done in us that we disciple and see that reproduced in other people. How many people out there do you think just across the board got saved, sat in a church somewhere, and that's it? That's the end of their Christian walk. I want to be able to be effective for him. Amen? All these things that, that, you know, praying through this stuff, if there's anything, I would say, Lord, if there's any of these areas in me, show me and help me to get beyond it because I want to be effective for you. I want to be able to, to minister to you effectively and for you out to others effectively. So this, I believe, has to do with things like spot and blemishes. And then Leviticus 7 it talked about the trespass offering. And here's some specific things without getting deep in that. I've already taught on that. But is there unforgiveness? It talked about touching things that were unclean or defiled. How many people are allowing stuff in their lives? And it really is defiling them. It really is. They're around things. They're hanging around places. They're hanging around people. They're participating in things that are absolutely 100% defiling them or touching dead bodies that has to do with going back to your past sins that Jesus has set you free from how many people have done that and it actually talks about in Peter where it gave the example about once a, a about a dog returning to its vomit remember that and a pig that had been washed but then went back to roll around in the mud again and it's talking about people that the Lord has set free, but then they went back into the old stuff. It seems like when they do, it's a lot worse the second time. All right, and also human uncleanness. This has to do with sexual purity. There's got to be a purity. And let me just tell you in, in my life from my personal testimony, and I'll deal with some of this next week as well with spiritual, spiritual warfare, but the early years, I honestly did not know how to pray and I didn't I didn't have the people in my life to teach me that's that's what to this day kind of aggravates me a little but I'm over it but I mean I didn't have the people to help me in a practical way what does it mean to die to the flesh what does that even mean you know what does it mean to renew your mind could somebody tell me I didn't know and so that's why and as a minister now I try to really you guys I've preached this so many times I try to help people really understand what that means I can't get into it deeply tonight but but I began to learn these things and spiritual maturity came. And then later, God began to teach me about a deep consecration. Let me just say this, through a series of taking communion on a regular basis and really coming under the blood, through a series of water immersions over time, and through a series of being anointed with oil and being in the Holy Spirit's presence and power, I can say honestly that the things that used to really get to me 20 years ago don't bother me today. That's the truth. But God had to do it over a period of time. Levit Leviticus 18 through 19 and then 20, verse 22, right in that area, it talks about sins that will cause the land to vomit people out. Now that's serious. And the three categories were sexual sins 
and then it had to do with the worship of other gods, and then it had to do with shedding innocent blood. Those were the three main, but more specifically, it listed incest, sexual sins of any kind. It went through a big, long list there, um, specifically listing homosexuality and bestiality. But then it talked about idolatry and the occult, the dark arts, false god worship. And then it talked about this, child sacrifices and shedding innocent blood like abortions today. And finally, corrupt justice. I'm just listing this stuff because I want people to pray about this. And let me tell you something else. In the Bible, every time Israel had a major revival, I mean a major one, they not only confessed their sin, but they confessed the sins of their fathers. That's important. And they also confessed the sins of the nation. And that's just a biblical fact. And through history, great revivals have broken out. And you guys know what I'm talking about where people have confessed their sin and repented, but they've also got under the burden of the sin of the nation or the region, and they prayed and they vicariously repented, Lord, forgive us. They associate themselves with the region. Lord, forgive us for our sins, and they begin to list the sins of their region. And God heard that and came down and moved in great power. And the same thing with generational stuff, praying, Lord, forgive us as a family for the things that we've done and get all that garbage under the blood. And when you really do that, there's a weight that'll come off people where there's been a heaviness from generational stuff, okay? So here's what I want to close with is the spirit of this world. So on your own, as you're praying and fasting in the month of March, you have that piece of paper, take this with you. You may jot that down, but pray about the sins of your family, your ancestors, and pray, ask God for his mercy for America. Lord, I come before you and I associate myself with this nation. Forgive us, Lord, for our sin. And the Bible says that he'll hear our prayers and he'll forgive our sin and he'll heal our land. He really, he promised he'll do that. And he will do that. Remember the Isle of Hebrides, Brother Zach taught on that, where those old men got in that barn and they prayed and they stood on that scripture. And God came down on the Isle of Hebrides with such power, there was an incredible harvest of souls. That area was totally shaken by the power of God. All right, so let's close with the spirit of this world. How many people, you got a choice. You can be of the spirit of God or you can be of the spirit of the world. Which one do you want? I want the spirit of God, but you can't have both. I'm just telling you. So we're dealing with getting cleansed from all the spots and blemishes. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.12. What we have received is not the spirit of the world. So the Bible calls that there is some kind of a spirit that blankets the world, and it has to do a lot with, well, I'll, I'll name a lot of things, but you'll see it a lot in the entertainment industry, but it's some kind of a seducing spirit that tries to pull people away from Jesus Christ into the world. It's got a, a pull to it. Whether it's making money, whether it's entertainment, whatever it is, it's trying to pull people. It's some kind of a seducing, powerful spirit. And I'll deal more with these type of things next week, so y'all be here, okay? But the spirit, Paul said, we haven't seen the spirit, of, we haven't received the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So let me read you a couple things that I want you to think about and pray about. Number one, just going through the spirit of the world. How, how would you describe the spirit of the world? Think about it. What is going on in the world that's trying to pull people 
into bondage. The first thing that came to my mind is the entertainment industry. Things like music and Hollywood, there's a definite pull there. And people many times don't realize it, but there's, there's something that's pulling them in, and there's also a bondage. And so you really need to be led by the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit where you need to draw the line. And if you find yourself, ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, do I need to be watching this and listening to this? If he don't want you doing it, you'll find yourself squirming. I'm uncomfortable. Then don't do it. Because if you resist the Holy Spirit, my goodness, it's a very bad. You're setting yourself up for a lot of problems. You're hardening your own heart. If he tells you don't do it, then don't do it. But ask him, Holy Spirit, is this okay with you? The next thing that pulls people into the world is materialism. They get so caught up with having to have all this stuff in life. I need all this stuff. How many knows when you die, all that stuff is not going to go with you? Think about it for a minute. We say those things kind of joking around, you know. But when you die, it literally is going to go to someone else for real. Job said, I came into the world naked, <laughs> and I'm going out naked. So it's really not going with you. So why live your life so caught up with materialism? Jesus said, store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy eternal things. Don't, don't live for the temporal. I'm telling you, there's a spirit of the world that has to do with these things. The next one is uh, caught up about making money, greed. So caught up about uh, working so many hours, doing so many things all the time, trying to make more and more money. Just You know, a lot of people, how many people have you seen over the years that have acquired, they've managed to finally acquire wealth but then they're not even really happy. Their marriage falls apart. Their kids go berserk. They, they lose, their, they, you know, and they're just miserable. They thought that acquiring all that money would make them happy. And let me tell you something that's dangerous about this issue with money anyway. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil, the love of money. And then also it talks about the mark of the beast and it says that the mark of the antichrist and the false prophet will be on your right hand or forehead, but it has to do with buying and selling. So it's a mark that has to do with money. So people that love money, when it comes time to take the mark, they're gonna be the first in line. Because they're gonna be saying, I can't give up all these things. Is anybody else getting this right here? This is, think about it. It's the love of money that's gonna suck people into the mark of the beast. Even people that profess Christianity now, when it actually comes time to lose their life over it, and to really deal with some things, I wonder where they're going to stand. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then also, so caught up with outward physical appearance. Yeah. All right. I might convict some ladies right now as I'm talking. All right. But I'm just kidding. It, this goes both ways here because there's guys that are just so caught up with the outward. Listen, if you spend more time in the morning primping your every little hair than you do with Jesus in prayer, something's wrong. I'm just saying. And some people are so, you know, the Bible says that there would come a time that people are in love with themselves. Seriously. It said there would come a time that people are lovers of themselves. They're totally infatuated with themselves. Now, what do you see when you see all these teeny boppers and they're all doing their little kissy faces all over and they're putting it up? What are they doing? They're all in love with themselves. 
It'd be funnier if it wasn't so true, and it's sad. And, and listen, the thing is that it's concerning because people are so caught up now with about their weight, their looks. They're, they're, they're so caught up with body sculpting and all these things, but it's the spirit of this world. Are you hearing me? It's a seducing spirit that is pulling people into that. Now, God is not concerned with those things at all. In fact, the Lord in the scriptures is talking about modesty. You know, and I realize physical exercise profits some as far as just taking care of yourself, but I'm not talking about taking care of yourself. I'm talking about being obsessed with the way you look. There's a spirit about that. It's the spirit of the world. All right, the next one is uh, gluttony, decadent, and luxurious living. These are people, decadent and luxurious living, that are just caught up with the, the biggest, greatest thing. They've got to have the the fanciest car, they got to fly first class, they got to stay at five-star hotels all the time, they got to wear this real expensive clothes. There's people like that. They can't stand to have on a pair of socks they didn't pay $200 for, you know, or something like that. And that, believe it or not, some of you think, oh, yeah, right. No, there's people like that. And that they just, they're so caught up with the luxurious living and, and spending all this money on things that are simply going to pass away and mean nothing one day. The next one is seduction. Okay. Now, this one is prevalent, including in the church. As you see, people come in, and they're, you know, half-dressed in church. Hello. And it's a seducing spirit. And you see it now with the advent of, you know, social media and things. You see people are just all caught up with this. They're trying to be, they're trying to act like the pop stars that they idolize. That's what they're trying to do and be seductive and have these seductive poses. But the seduction, the lust, the dressing seductively, and, and the, the sex appeal and all of that, it's the spirit of this world. It's demonic is what it is. The next one is vying for, or for um, position and competition. How many people are so caught up with they're trying to tear another down at work or whatever to make themselves look good? They're so competitive. And so caught up with trying to elbow somebody out of the way to get ahead. They'll do whatever they can do to climb the ladder of success, whatever that means. And that's even in the church. Where people are wanting position and they're willing to do whatever to smear another to get position. That's the spirit of this world. And how many knows the exact opposite is what the Lord's looking for? That we're humble servants and prefer others. And another thing, and y'all please hear me about this, don't get too caught up with politics. The kingdoms of this world will one day become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. But they're not there now. <laughs> and they're not going to be until Jesus comes. And that's the thing, when Satan took Jesus up to the temple and showed him the kingdoms of the world and says, these were given to me, I'm paraphrasing, okay? These were given to me by Adam. They're rightfully mine. I'll give them to you if you'll just worship me. And Jesus said, no way, get out of here. And so the kingdoms of this world are, are simply under Satan's satanic jurisdiction until Jesus comes. So don't get so caught up with the Republican, Democrat, and all the latest things. I mean, it can be depressing fast. I mean, you can watch the news and get depressed, and it's about 15 minutes. But just keep your eyes on Jesus, okay? Know what's going on. Don't be, a, you know, ignorant. But I'm saying that some people are way too caught up. I had a guy kind of get mad at me or whatever because I wouldn't set up like a, a, a booth and, incur, and like promote 
stuff here in the church. And I, and I said, no, we're not going to do that. And he got mad. And I was like, I, I don't do that. This, is whole, this place is holy unto God. This is a place the word of God is preached. And people's lives are going to be touched by Jesus. I'm not getting overly caught up with that stuff. I'll tell you guys to vote righteously, don't I? And I vote righteously. But I'm not going to focus my whole life on that. Or the next thing is being too earthly minded on the temporal instead of heavily minded on the eternal. That is definitely the spirit of the world. People live for the here and the now. What's going to make me happy today? What can I get today? And they're just totally, completely caught up with the now, being happy. Whatever is going to make me feel good now, instead of thinking about how is all this going to be in eternity? What would life be like if we really did live each day thinking to ourselves, what if I'm dead tomorrow? Well, how would I live my life today? Think about that. If I was gone tomorrow, how would I live my life today? Well, I would definitely be thinking about eternal things. I'd be thinking about what is going to make Jesus happy today. You know, I would be thinking about, do I need to witness to somebody? I need to pray for people. I definitely need to be living righteously. These things would be going through my mind. And so people need to quit being so caught up with the temporary and start thinking about the eternal. Because there's some people that are going to die and have absolutely no reward. I mean, they may have got in heaven by the skin of their teeth, right? You know, but they have no rewards, nothing to speak of, nothing. They never did a thing for God. They totally just live for themselves. And that's going to be very evident on the other side of this life. So this is how the last scriptures I want to give you as we close and pray. Revelation 18, 4. So then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Now, this is talking about Babylon. And there's different applications you could use here, but let's just say Babylon right now is the world system as a whole that Satan rules over. Come out of her, my people come out of the spirit of the world and don't share in her sins and don't share in the plagues that are coming on her. Come out of that and be separate, be holy unto God. And let me give you this last scripture, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. You guys need to listen to that. And I know that, that some of you that are here really do take this to heart, but I've seen people that didn't listen to me and they're not here anymore. You need to be careful to not be hanging around or dating people that are non-Christians that are going to drag you down. Amen. Come on. They're not good for you. All right, don't be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship is there between light and darkness? If you're hanging out with darkness all the time and sinners, it will affect you. I'm just telling you. What harmony has Christ with Belial? Just picture here Belial being like a satanic entity, okay? What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? There's not anything in common. What agreement has the temple of God? What's the temple of God? We are. What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of living God, just as God says, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they'll be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now that's the word of the Lord.
Amen? 2 Corinthians 6, 14, New Testament, that's the word of the Lord. Come out from among them and be separate. All right, so Lord, we thank you for tonight. I thank you for this word. Again, guys, if you would, fold that up and take it home with you and let it be something that you really pray about these next couple weeks before Passover. Let's really consecrate ourselves unto God. I'm gonna pray for people tonight. Move through, God's gonna release an impartation and I believe some healing. Let's go ahead and, and shut down recordings.